You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 248 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me as always, my co-host, Nick Stumbo. He shoots. He scores. <sighs> I feel like I did you grow up listening to like Chris Berman and all those guys who just like fumbling, bumbling, stumbling. Yeah, the Chris 30, Berman, the 20. Marv Albert. Yeah. Um there's I'm thinking of other names, but now I can't remember them. <laughs> Bob Costas, Al Michaels. Madden, uh, Pat you know, Summerall. Do you uh I so I associate him with playoff baseball, but Joe Buck. People like hate Joe Buck and I have never disliked him. I've always thought he was great. Yeah, I think sometimes it's the older crowd that knew his dad. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, because his dad was a broadcaster. Buck. I can't remember yeah. his first name. Yeah. But I, I think if you listen to his dad, there was a style there that then Joe felt just so much more, I don't know, brash or loud. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily have a particular problem with Joe Buck, but Troy Aikman, on the other hand, drives me crazy. Really? The guy does not stop talking. Okay. But anyway, I okay. digress. Well, no, I, I'll just say it right now. Bill Walton is the one I cannot stand. Well, I just... And, well, and they put him on just for that reason. Oh, my He's, he's the, the character goodness. that kind of like people who like him listen for 10 minutes, people who hate him listen for 15, right? For all oh the reasons uh, that they want to point out that they don't like him. Let's uh, let's get into why we're talking about broadcasters today. Yes. Today we had a friend of ours, Stephen Thomas, on the podcast to talk about performance wounds. Yeah, and how many of us, you know, played basketball in the driveway growing up and would say those words, he shoots, he scores, and then, ah, the crowd's going crazy. And, you know, we envision ourselves, whether it's sports, music, grades, you know, popularity, whatever kind mm-hmm. of our thing is, and we envision becoming, you know, the star or popular or um, achieving that thing. And for so many of us, the story doesn't play out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if it did one time, the next time it didn't go so well. And and the way it can lead to that wounding that really creates a sense of us not being good enough. Yep. Um, it, it damages our sense of identity. That's really what we talked about today because I, I think all of us have that version of our story, yeah. maybe just in different arenas of life. So I think it was a very helpful conversation to get mm-hmm. Stephen's wisdom on this. And I know you and I were processing some of our own performance <laughs> wounds and right. I, hope, I hope the listeners will be able to do the same thing. Good therapy session for That's us today. Right. Uh, a few things before we get to it, subscribe to the podcast. If you're not subscribed, do it. Don't wait any longer. You can find us on all the major platforms. Please give us a review it helps other people find us and it means a lot to us. Uh, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pure Desire PDMI. And if you consume video content, the full episode for this is up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. Nick, we like to circle back every once in a while and just remind people that we invite them to be a part of a team. And the team is called Team 58. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about how many of us in recovery were asked to kind of count the cost of our addiction and add up the, the amount of money we had invested in uh, acting out, whether it was actual money or time lost. And, you know, for many, many of us, it's, you know, it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of lost time and money mm-hmm. and paying for things. And and so as we think about our recovery, there's kind of a question here of what if I were willing to pay and invest to that same level in the healing of others? Mm-hmm. Because 
when we clicked on images, when we accessed websites, we were contributing to an industry that is really damaging our world. And so Team 58 is an invitation to say, why not be part of the health and recovery of thousands of other people yep. at whatever level you're able to. And so Team 58 is our um, partnership of people who are monthly donors to Pure Desire and mm -hmm. have said, with my finances, I want to be a part of seeing this message grow and reach more people. And it comes out of Isaiah chapter 58, where uh, the prophet says that our healing will come quickly and then we will be known as those who rebuild the fallen cities and restore the broken walls. And so for us, it means we're a part of a team that is rebuilding broken lives, restoring broken families. Yep. And we get to do this together because there's, there's no one of us that's going to mm -hmm. get this job done. Yep. But we really believe it will be as thousands upon thousands of people see the need to be a part of the healing movement uh, that the change can really begin to happen. So uh, jump in. We do some fun stuff. Yep. You know, we do some occasional webinars that are exclusive to Team 58 and uh, would really love to have you be on that team with us. Yeah. So if you want to join Team 58, go to puredesire.org slash give and help other people find healing and recovery. All right. Here's our time with Stephen Thomas on Performance Wounds. Stephen Thomas, welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, man. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, um, Stephen and I, I think you might have met Nick at another event. I'm not sure. But I remember that we met you, I believe it was Fort Wayne, Indiana. Am I right? Okay. That's correct. Okay. You met me and my wife. We, uh, Lisa, she's awesome. That yes. was a lot of fun. Yes. Um, the worst travel trip we have ever had. The event was great. Meeting you was amazing. The trip sucked. I will, f I will never ever forget how terrible it was. I don't remember what you're talking about. Yes, you do. All I have to say is Delta Airlines. Stop. Tra I'm trauma blocking right now on purpose. I just trauma blocking. It actually, it's Delta and Detroit in combination that is mm, kind of the trigger. So yeah, sorry, Justin. He's born in Detroit. I'm assuming you did this trip in the winter then. If it was that bad. Yeah, yes. we actually were, short story, we ended up driving through a snowstorm <laughs> on Halloween night to get to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, and we it need, yeah, awesome. we can't keep talking about it because it'll get, it'll just get out of control. <laughs> so, uh, Stephen, um, I mean, there's a reason why we had you on the podcast and uh, we wanted to talk through performance wounds that we have. But before we get into those questions, we just kind of fill our listeners in backstory, who you are, a little bit of your story and what you're doing now. Yeah, so... Um, I grew up in a Christian family, and even so, I um, was exposed to pornography at age seven. Mm. It was offered to me, and I said yes. And, you know, as I've even reflected backwards uh, before age seven, why I was willing to say yes, I realized I had lots of sexual exposure even before then, just from being able to allow, uh, being allowed to watch TV kind of unmonitored. Mm. And that um, developed into a, you know, a huge struggle. That was full of shame, um, became a regular part of life, meaning using pornography. Um, and then in my teenage years, I began to struggle with same-sex attraction, and that became a major focus of my struggle. Um, and I struggled with that and uh, for about 12 years and really experienced breakthrough in my early 20s um, when um, you know I was getting some help and um, really some God moments where I had an opportunity to uh, not hide anymore. Um, so really living a life without secrets and choosing vulnerability became my ticket into sobriety. Mm. And I've had freedom from porn for over 13 years now. Praise wow. God. Yep. I've been, yeah, I've been married for 12 of those years. And um, I will quickly say too, I've learned that recovery is 
sobriety is part of it, but it's more than that because even though I was not using porn, my marriage still sucked at first. Um, I didn't know how to emotionally relate and connect and do conflict well. Um, as a porn user, I was really great at escaping mm. conflict. Yep. So um, now I had to stay in and learn and get to the other side of repair. And instead of doing those things, I just would dismiss her and, you know, blame yeah. her. I'm like, go find another husband who doesn't struggle with porn, you know? And, um, and all that's to say five years in, she wanted to marry me. So the other part of my recovery, I'm sorry, she wanted to divorce me. To <laughs> unmarry you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, she already had. Um, so the other part of my recovery journey was repairing my marriage and developing that and we have a marriage we do love um and for the last five years i've been uh, um, helping guys in um both overcoming porn and marriage work um i started as a pure desire leader and uh was leading conquer series and seven pillars and kind of recognized this was a life calling and then about a year and a half ago i um, started connecting with husband material and um, mm -hmm. became their first certified coach and um, use that as an inroad to launch my own business, which I launched uh, last August, which is Stephen Thomas Consulting, and which focuses on helping people outgrow their unwanted sexual behaviors and attractions and repair their marriages. So, Stephen, today we want to dive into a topic that I think really impacts a lot of people in recovery and maybe doesn't get talked about enough, but that's just how much when we are in uh, our struggles, in addiction, um, battling with unwanted things, that a lot of it was the, the way we would deal with it is through performing well, for, through trying to impress people, you know, uh, put our best foot forward, and often in a realm like sports mm -hmm. to try to find uh, achievement and accomplishment that would kind of cover over maybe this other part of our life. And so we want to dive into that, this idea of performance wounds. And so let's define that for our listeners. What What is a performance wound and where might we experience it? Sure. So I define a performance wound, wound as an emotional wounding that occurs when we have tied our identity to success in a defined area. Yep. Um, it can happen really almost anywhere, but I think that it mainly occurs um, in our developmental stages and then manifests throughout our life. Yep. So it happens to me the most in families, but also could happen in church and in school. Um, I think those are arenas that we are in as we are growing up. So those are really key areas, but like I said, it can happen. You know, the, I think the world is wired for performance. So um, it can happen at work. It can happen with friends. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's sort of the expression of something that already exists. Yeah. I mean, I feel like growing up as someone who also had a creative side, like something that you do, you know, I think about all the things we used to do um, when we were kids, we'd put on plays or we'd write stories or we'd write songs and we'd want to play them in front of our families. And at some point in life, those like stopped. We're like, well, I don't really want to do those anymore. And it's usually because there was some sort of wounding, you know, whether it was some talent show or, you know, I remember we had talent shows uh, with our, you know, group of like 15 cousins we had growing up. It was like, we would have those at Christmas. You can absolutely experience a performance wound there. If you were looking for a certain um, response or reaction to what you did and you didn't get it, that's a very easy way to get wounds. I mean, we already talked about sports too. That's a huge place for me. Yeah, I think of the number of people that I've done group with or talked to at events that 
I mean, I would say like 99% of them have some version of I'm not enough that plays in their psyche as part of their struggle. Mm -hmm. I don't measure up. I don't have what it takes. And I think a lot of that gets rooted in our souls because of performance wounds that whether it was sports, school, music, whatever we were into, something occurred with a coach, a parent, a friend, a classmate, that that message got lodged in our thinking, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes. And it really becomes a big part of the pull into pornography and unwanted behaviors because that area becomes the the quick solution to feeling like I am enough. And so I think it's so important that we can unpack where do those performance wounds come from? What are their messages? And by the end of this, really giving some direction for how do we overcome them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say, I mean, if you think of it, if you're in a family where sports is a big deal and you're the kid that, you know, maybe isn't as gifted in sports, if your parents do not know how to see and find your, um, what you bring, like what are your giftings and acknowledge them and celebrate them, you'll have this performance wound, you know, and we're actually designed as, as children to be celebrated. You know, like you said, you're, you're writing a play or doing a talent show. Like, it's when your kids come up to you with that picture mm-hmm. uh, that scribbles and they're like, look what I did, dad. And they're looking to be celebrated and see like that, that, that they have value. And what can happen is, um, you know, the truth is God uses our kids to challenge us as parents in our own growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm wired a certain way, but my kids might have giftings in other areas yeah. and I need to grow and see what that is and call that out in them yeah. mm-hmm. and speak to their identity and help them even navigate, you know, that they're a gift to our family from God, what they bring to the table is celebrated so that they can untie themselves from even, you know, the developmental process of needing to be first place all the time. Right. Or, um, or, or yeah, or if they're not good at something, they at least know, Hey, well, I'm good at other things. You know, it's not a big deal. We all have something that we thrive in. Yeah. So that's, Go ahead. I just, I, we were quoting it this last weekend when we were out of town, but you know, from Talladega Nights, um, when Ricky Bobby's dad comes in the classroom and he's like, dad, you told me if you ain't first, you're last. And he goes, no, you can be first. You can be second. You can be third. You can even be fourth. Like, but that idea that we're taught that only if you win or you're the best that you have value. But in reality, like second, third, and fourth, like that's still a lot better than a lot of other people. You still have that gift or that value. hundred percent. Um, so what is it about performance wounds that are so uniquely harmful? Like, you know, it's not something we can necessarily avoid in life. We'll be put in situations where we are required or we have a desire to perform, but when we are in those situations and things go south, why is it so damaging? Well, again, if the security isn't there that, you know, your value and you know, your worth, I mean, the issue is that a performance wound is going to be tied to identity and it's going to create questions of, am I good enough? Am I valuable? Um, Do people like or enjoy being around me? It's around acceptance and knowing our worth. Um, And it can turn, if it's left unaddressed, if it's left unparented, really, it can turn shame-based where it will turn into like a self-sentencing of something is wrong with me. You know, Um, you already talked about sports. There's lots of guys who have the story of, maybe they didn't thrive in sports and don't feel like they belong as a guy and feel like they were dealt a worse hand of cards in the masculinity department, because actually culturally lots of guys determine how man you are by your, you know, athletic prowess. Mm -hmm. And, but there's so much more to us than that. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I was thinking about it really comes down to where are we seeking to find our identity? And so like for me, just like you were saying, Stephen, I put so many eggs in that sports basket to find my identity versus I was also involved like in high school and in theater stuff, music stuff, youth group stuff. And I actually uh, excelled in a lot of those places, but it didn't mean to me personally nearly as much as my desire to be successful as an athlete, basketball and football. And so when I had failures in those arenas, that's where the performance wounds came that said to me, I'll never be enough. I don't measure up. I mean, where meanwhile, I'm, I'm getting awards for vocal stuff and, and things are great. Or there was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, yeah. I, because I'd put my eggs in that sports basket. And I think that's what it comes down to is looking mm-hmm. at what am I pursuing for my identity? And if things go sideways there, or I've got a message there of being a failure, it really, it's not just the failure itself. It's the way it attacks my sense of identity and value and worth. So I'm totally with you there. Yeah. I would say identity and worth as a man too. And again, to me, it's a charge as fathers to when your kid is thriving in vocal performance or something else to recognize and call out and affirm how like these other areas are thriving. They are, um, they're actually carrying, you know, a masculine expression of who God is in those arenas. It's not just sports. It's not just physicality. Um, And I think the wounding is so sensitive because as guys, you know, we want to be strong. We want to see that, but it actually appears in other areas and we need to do the work to see that and grow ourselves that we're confident enough as fathers, you know, to like be able to pass that confidence to our sons and daughters. You know, this is beyond just for guys. We're talking about some guys specific issues, but for women too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know my wife has some sports wounds that she carries as well, you know, being in big situations or spots where she missed a shot or wasn't given an opportunity, um, or even some of the stuff that coaches say to you, those can be really damaging as well. Um, something specific to this question that came to mind for me is, you know, for me, sports growing up, that was the thing. Like I was usually the best player on my team and I got tons of affirmation, um, in sports where I didn't get a lot in other areas. And so for me, it's easy for identity, you know, to be found there, but there's this interesting thing where, you know, I have this story. One of my top 10 is I am, I think I'm like 11 or 12 and I'm playing shortstop and I run and I make this like Willie Mays catch over the shoulder. And as I'm running out to make this catch, I pass the left fielder. Uh, and so I have this moment where like, my teammate didn't make the right call. He's supposed to call me off. I'm not supposed to be running out into the outfield to make this catch, but it's also one of these, uh, it's probably one of the biggest highlights of my sports career. But when I walked into the dugout, just I'm on cloud you know, 13, I'm so pumped to make this catch. I hear parents saying, Trevor's being a ball hog, which by the way, if you're a baseball fan, there's no such thing as ball hog. But <laughs> what I found was something that was, it was in an arena and a sport that I loved so deeply And it was an experience that was such a high and so fun for me. And yet it was also met with the message. It doesn't matter how good you are, or if you make the play, you're not enough. You're always going to be a failure. And so there's this unique combination of something we love and we're good at that is met with this terrible wounding message that when those fuse together, it has made it uniquely difficult for me in the arena of anything I do is never gonna be good enough. Cause even when I make the greatest play I've made in my entire career, which is sad cause I was only 12 and I played till I was 23. But at that moment, the greatest thing I'd done in my career is also one of the most wounding moments of my life. And so it's such a, it's just a mess. It's a messy situation. Yeah, that's a tough story and it, it's sad because yeah, you made this great play and, um, and then 
it's like you're, you, I would feel that scene, you know, it's like you want to celebrate, you made the totally. catch, you know, and now you're being told kind of you did something wrong. And I, you're going to hear me probably tie the conversation back to a concept. But again, I just, I want to speak of the role of parenting here because, you know, a parent to a youth, to a child is a voice of authority, you know, so when a kid grows up, they hear the parents say something and they believe it. Oh, dad says that. That's what it is. And that's the power of what a parent can do to help. So even um, when our parents come in a tune, and I don't know, obviously, if they did this or not, but like if they attune to you in a moment and be like, hey, that was a great catch. And you know what? Like if they help you navigate and yep. help you see and feel celebrated in that moment, that can do so much more, uh, so much for this kind of wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already seen it in my own walk as a parent with my own kids. And um, yeah, so I just have to say, bring up parenting and the power of it in this yep. arena right here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, God, I think as parents, he's really given us influence in the lives of our kids, even when we think they're not listening. Our ability to speak value, worth, and identity to absolutely. them, or in a sense, take it from them is super, super powerful. So it's humbling for us as parents to realize that because we're just normal people that have our low moments and probably all have said things we regret to our kids and just realizing that, oh man, what yeah. what sense did I just give them of their value, worth, and identity? But so it's so crucial, how do we repair those moments and how do we be intentional about taking that influence seriously and speaking words that give life to our kids? So. Have you ever felt like you're the only person in the world passionate about recovery and healing? Or like you're the only person in your state who knows about the power of pure desire groups? Well, the good news is you're not alone in either of those things. You want proof? Join us for the 2024 Pure Desire Summit on September 20 and 21 in Gresham, Oregon. The Pure Desire Summit is a two-day event for anyone and everyone on the recovery and healing journey. Last year, we had over 800 people join us in person and online for the summit. You are definitely not alone. One of the leading comments we got from attendees was, The conference was amazing, but what I didn't expect was how life-giving it was to meet other men and women on the same journey as me. It's incredibly energizing being around healthy men and women who are prioritizing freedom and healing from the effects of unwanted sexual brokenness. This year's theme is Reclaiming Identity. For many of us, the effects of sexual brokenness and betrayal trauma had a death grip on our sense of self. We carried around shame constantly. Well, this year at the summit, we're talking about ways to take back who God made us to be. We're taking back our identity from the enemy and from the effects of sexual brokenness. And in case all of that isn't enticing enough, at the summit, we'll get to hear from Joshua Broom. He's an author and former award-winning adult film star, now turned pastor and evangelist. Also speaking at the summit is Nancy Piercy, author of Love Thy Body and the Toxic War on Masculinity. Join us in person here in Oregon or online for the summit. To do so, go to puredesiresummit.com. Let's gather together and take another step toward reclaiming the identity God has given us. Uh, Stephen, we've talked about a couple of different areas, you know, sports, music, but maybe lay it out a little more for listeners that this is a newer concept or they're just trying to think it through today in a fuller way. Um, what are the different kind of uh, the different types of performance wounds uh, that you might bring up or that people might be experiencing? Yeah, um, it's a good question. And I have a short list and there's probably more, but um, it, I just want to highlight that some of these sports wounds we're talking about are actually about body image for mm-hmm. a lot of men and women. Oh, that's a and good point. I, yeah. 
lots of, <laughs> I've heard it said, you know, the two topics that don't get talked about is women who struggle with porn and guys struggling with body image issues. Mm. But it's real, you know? So that's one. Um, academics, uh, it could be, you know, church, especially if you grew up in church as an addict, it felt like you're just failing yep. uh, in your your ability to measure up. And if you're in a church culture that didn't um, show value or know how to do vulnerability mm-hmm. and really demonstrate um, what unconditional love looks like as we are on a journey of growth, you know, like you have to just be perfect. You know, every we're a new creation in Christ. And that means there's no sin. So we ignore the other verses about how we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. <laughs> so um, that's a place that it happens. Um, we might be experienced performance wounds like in our sexuality yeah. that can show up too. Um, I would say relationally, um, sometimes you might wonder why you don't have friends and like, I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not funny enough. Yeah. So uh, there's so many arenas this can happen and it's just any, <laughs> any arena that you can compare yourself to someone else Yeah. and, and that come to a conclusion that something is wrong with me. Yep. You know, the reason why I don't experience as many friends as this person is there's something wrong with my personality yeah. or um, the reason why um, I don't, yeah, no reason why nobody likes me is I'm not handsome enough or I'm not athletic enough. I mean, right. there's so many ways this can show up. Yeah. I, it's um, interesting. I, I believe that once you compare or comparison happens, someone always loses. It's just never a good situation. Um, and that is really challenging. I mean, we live in a culture that highlights, um, you know, physical attractiveness, whether that's physique, like looks, different hairstyles, different complexions, whatever it may be, you know, all the way up to, I mean, you know, we just, not that long ago, the Super Bowl was happening and it's like you, those are like the superstars of our day and age. Those are the people who we aspire to be like when we're kids. And so I think some of that too, just on your parenting, um, your parenting kick on that is that defining what value is for our kids is something we can do proactively that like if we if our kids see us you know elevating sports um or you know sports athletes or actors or politicians or whatever and we're elevating those people to a point we actually end up teaching our kids this is what it is to be a man or a woman this is what it is to have value or to bring you know something beneficial to the world so that's just something that's going on in my head now is thinking through who am i pointing my kid toward um, am I modeling that in my own life? And then who am I, who are my kids watching me celebrate, you know, and how far that can go for their life? That's so good. Sometimes we will give so much attention to who we're watching on TV and we don't ever celebrate our kids. Mm. Yeah. I, as you're saying that, that thought came to me and I was like, Ooh, that's convicting. <laughs> yeah, I know. Steven, you suck, man. That was, <laughs> I feel like garbage right now. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's, let's turn the corner here. How do we start bringing healing to these wounds? I mean, I, like for me, I can't go back to when I was 12 years old and make this great catch and re, you know, like redo. I can't, I don't have a mulligan in that scenario. Um, so how do we go back and heal those wounds we have from performance issues? It's a great question. Um, to me, it requires both doing what I would call internal work and external work. So, um, you know, when that sports wound gets triggered or like, let's say in your example that you just brought up, Trevor, if something comes up where you feel like you can never do the right thing and recognize that it's that same wounding that happened when you're 12 years old and made that amazing catch. Um, what I like, the way I like to look at it for myself is that 
if that wounding is active, it's like carrying uh, a kid in my emotional self that is with me and still needs attention and needs help. Hmm. So I will, and I know this sounds weird, maybe for some, but um, so I will recognize that I will actually speak to those parts of me that need to heal or like sort of imagine if somebody stepped in and like a parental figure uh, stepped in as a voice of authority and was able to speak to him, what that would sound like. And what I realized is when I do that, I'm actually reflecting and meditating on what God's love expressed mm. to me looks like. Cool. You know, God wants to express his love to us as a father through the fathers and, you know, our mothers in our life, you know, that part of his nature too. Um, that was the worst way to articulate that. I acknowledge. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> but, you know, God has things that he wants to uh, reflect to us about who he is through motherhood and yeah. fatherhood. And so sometimes just allowing myself to imagine what it is and say those, because yeah. if that wound is alive, it's like that emotional kid is kind of, it's with me and it's alive. So I will begin to meet the needs and speak to him and bring him comfort in that way. Um, and that's kind of the internal wounding that I do. And then the second thing I do is something external, which is, you know, I will act on it. So if, um, so I'm pausing here because I think maybe the best way to tie all this together is to use the personal example. Mm -hmm. um, so I had wounding. Um, when I was in third grade, I went to a small private school and it was so small, like 70 kids from kindergarten through eighth grade. So we were all on the same team. So I'm third in third grade, I was playing sports with eighth graders wow. and I was used to being like last place uh, because I was just the littlest. And, um, and that made participating in sports something that was really uncomfortable and lo had lots of shame for me. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that, oh, I wasn't really given space to thrive. And I interpreted that as something is wrong with me. I speak to that kid there. And then the external work that I do is um, something I did a couple of years ago is I did a year of CrossFit, knowing that I'd never done it and would totally suck at it. And I became comfortable that, hey, I'm finishing my workout three or four minutes after everyone. And it feel those three to four minutes feel like a really long time. Yeah. Yep. But then I wasn't withdrawing. I'm gonna choose to like act on the fact that hey, I'm lovable and I deserve space to like grow and develop. And mm -hmm. so I would go and be my outgoing self with them afterwards. I go and talk to the people that I'm intimidated by and used to think never wanted anything to do with me yep. because I always jokingly referred to myself when I did CrossFit as last place Larry. <laughs> and um but I was just like, hey, I'm going to belong. I'm going to choose to belong here because I'm speaking to that kid and letting him know he does belong and yeah. that he doesn't, you know, like, you know, and I let, I give him what he needs and I've spoken that to his identity and now I'm going to act on it. So it's the combination of the internal work and the external work yeah. that has been super life-giving for me. Yeah, I, th I think that's so good. And it's all about, in many ways, becoming comfortable in our own skin, being okay that we have limitations, we have weaknesses. I mean- yeah. God created Adam and Eve in his perfect world with limitations. They weren't, perf yep. they weren't, um, you know, they needed other people. There were things they couldn't do. There was a tree they couldn't eat of. Like he made us perfectly right. with limits. And I think accepting that is part of the process. And uh, I was also thinking of something that has to happen on two levels, you know, internal, external. I love that. But I think a similar thing has to take place with forgiveness. Um, like he's one of my personal stories when I was a junior in high school, had a very kind of tough, hard-nosed coach, old school. Um, and there was 
a pass in, we were playing zone defense, a pass that I probably could have stolen or intercepted. And he exploded. And he's like, mm. Stumbo, what is wrong with you? My 80-year-old grandma could have made oh. that that steal and just, just went off at me. And wow. I realized, you know, as a college student, like I had a lot of anger and bitterness towards that coach. Mm -hmm. And I did some real work of letting go of that and forgiving him. And he had, you know, incidentally, a few years before that even died of cancer. And so it was like, here, I'm harboring this resentment. And that was really good work. But I realized like in my recovery process, 10 years later, I still had a lot of, of wounds around that moment. I was like, well, what's going on? I forgave him. But what I realized is that I had never forgiven myself because there was a part of me that took the wounding because I felt like it was true. I wasn't enough and he was pointing it out. And and the wound I had was kind of self-inflicted of continuing to tell myself that message, I'm not good enough, yeah. I should have made the play. Yep. And, and there was this process of like letting myself off the hook and hearing God's words of grace to that high school kid. Yes, and be yes. like, you know what? I was trying my best. And that day, for whatever reason, I didn't make the play. Like, that's okay. I need to forgive my 16 year old self for not making that play and realizing that didn't change my value, worth, or identity. And so I think for maybe many people, you've more likely done the work of forgiving a perpetrator or someone who spoke those words to you, especially if they were done intentionally. Um, and I mean, if you haven't, you know, maybe start there. But then yeah. there's the more internal work of forgiving myself, of accepting those limits and weaknesses and recognizing that in God's economy, that doesn't change the value of who I truly am. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Because... Um, Stephen, what you're talking about is replacing old experiences with new experiences. And that's such an important um, piece for recovery is that we have these woundings, we have these lies we believe, these messages we believe because of these negative experiences. And so when you go to CrossFit and you enter into that, you are intentionally putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation and acting differently than you did before in order to replace those old experiences. And that's I mean, that's something at a biological level, even in the brain that needs to take place. Um, you know, the, the, it's the taking off and the putting on. It's the replacing those old behaviors, but also replacing those new experiences. Um, man, it's just all the stories come up when you talk about this topic for me. But, you know, one of them is I've never been good at water sports. And if you hang out with me, you know that I do not want to go on a boat. Like, you know, I have a really close friend who has a boat and he wants to go out all the time. And I'm like, if only you and I go out and you teach me how to wakeboard, then yes. But other than that, I'm not going out there. But I've realized that over time, that's actually going to it's going to be something that keeps me from experiencing deeper levels of healing and not necessarily going out on the boat. Like if I don't want to, that's fine, but still pressing into those things I'm not good at, still pressing into those things that make me uncomfortable so that I can, number one, I can become okay with not being good at something. Because that if there's a message that Trevor Windsor needs to hear more than anything, it's okay to not be good <laughs> at something. It's okay to not be the smartest person. It's okay. Yes. Um, and all the Enneagram threes and sevens said, amen. amen. That's right. That's right. But it- <laughs> Three wing two. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Three wing two go. right here. Yeah, but it, it is here. it is something that um, it's okay to, um, and uh, you know, all these things I've heard people say, but the idea of just embracing being bad at something can actually be one of the best things we can do for us. We can still press through and still work, but it, we have to replace those old negative experiences with new ones. So Stephen, talk us through that a little bit, because I think for many, many people, performance and identity get linked. I mean, that, some of that is maybe just human nature. So how do we create a healthy separation between what we do, our performance, and who we are, our identity? Yeah. I mean, I would say that pay attention to 
when you're triggered. <laughs> so if it's hard for me that I went on Facebook and saw Nick that you got Wordle in two tries and it took me three tries. If that's bothering you, now me, you're not as good. Yeah, in. totally. <laughs> if you know, if I can't celebrate you, then there's you know probably that's evidence of oh there's um I like how it, there's a form of therapy that's been gaining popularity called internal family systems and they don't just call it triggers they call it trailheads like mm. there's a story here as to why it's hard for me to be okay yeah. that I'm not the best right now. Yeah. So, um, you know, self-awareness as to what throws you off when you start feeling like you don't belong or feeling uncomfortable um, that you're less than or, you know, whatever that looks like for you. And I would say actively attack it um, by like doing the, the internal and external work. So you're saying, Trevor, like having these new experiences you know, me going to CrossFit was fruit of the internal work that I had done yep. because I became secure that I was lovable and that, hey, you know, you can be treated kindly and be accepted and celebrated even as you're just learning this new skill and mm -hmm. this new sport. Those are conversations I allowed myself to, I imagined somebody meeting me in that pain and let a new voice of authority be louder than the, the, the something wrong with the something is wrong with me narrative that was going yeah. on in my heart. And um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a mixture of self-awareness and actively go after it yeah. to, to untie yourself up from it. Because I also like what you're saying is being okay with not being great at something, Trevor. I've been in a similar season where doing this has opened me to want to try things that I never tried because of, you know, yep. I don't want to go in and be last place Larry again. You know, yeah. I don't like how that feels, but um, I'm open right now to so many new experiences and it's creating opportunities for more connection. Mm -hmm. And people also like being around somebody who is comfortable in their own skin. It's right. actually an attractive quality that invites connection and puts people's guards down. So um, I don't know if that perfectly answers the question, but no, that's yeah. the best answer I have for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like that does. That's really, it's really good. I think a couple other things I'll just add to it is the importance of identifying where we learned these messages and experienced these wounds, I think is really helpful because you can at that moment realize that, um, you know, and I've heard this, like if you experience, if I experienced something at 11 years old, I was reacting and responding as I was an 11 year old. I wasn't responding like a 33 year old. Like I, you know, I have these clear eyes, like, bro, you could have just said this, you could have just done that, or you couldn't have, you could have just not believed what they said. So I think identifying and observing what's true about that situation and where you learn that message. Um, and then Nick, you mentioned it earlier, the idea of limitations. Um, and I think that that's a really important piece to doing that too, is learning to embrace those limitations, meaning, you know, for me, uh, I, for me, the things I, I grew up learning were that um, your value or the respect that you can get will come by being intelligent and by being a leader. And so I would seek out, and in some ways it's actually been very beneficial for my life, but like I'm going to master's, I'm, I'm in my master's program. I got my PSAP. I, you know, I'm leading a team. I'm on the executive team here. And so these are all things I can find my identity in. Um, but for me, other things like leading a Bible study or discipling people, like I've learned that I can't do all of these things at the same time. And what's been cool is, is I've learned that no is a really courageous thing for me in my life to say no to something, to another experience to learn or lead. Um, and what I've found is that has actually um, helped train me that it's 
it's okay. It's almost it, it's almost the healthier thing for me to say no to some of these things. And that actually is proof of my health and proof that I do have value, that I can say no to these things and that my identity doesn't have to be rooted in doing all the things for all people. Yeah, I was I was Love thinking that. about just what we say about sexual addiction, pornography, you know, unwanted behaviors is it's not enough to just stop them and try to yeah. not have them anymore. It's really the question of what are we turning to instead? What will replace those? What's our health going to look like? So I think if we have these performance wounds and negative messages about our value, worth, and identity, part of that answer is redefining where I find my value, worth, and mm -hmm. identity so that I have a place of security from which I'm willing to try new things. I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to be not enough because that's no longer where I find my value, worth, and identity. And so that also speaks to me the need for group and the need for some of us for counseling or yep. therapy or at a minimum, a, a coach or mentor who can walk alongside of us and help us recognize how to find a new source of our identity in Christ and in relationships so that we can go into those performance areas, not with our identity on the line every yep. time. And, yep. and I, I, I want to just be clear to say this too. This is like my issue. Like this is every day for me. I can either come in and say, okay, my identity is in being a really great director and leader of pure desire. And then it's like every moment I'm, I'm evaluating, am I doing that yeah. or not? And it's some days I live in that kind of mindset and other days like, no, I know who I am. I know who God made me to be. Mm -hmm. And even if I never have this job or never work here again, it's not going to change who I am. Yeah. There's just a different posture. So I, I wanted to be clear. This isn't like something you just quickly master. This mm -hmm. is like, this is the process yeah. of change and transformation, but it's so good because I think it gets into that, that deep place of where's my value and identity coming from. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And I, when you say like, yeah, it's not something that necessarily ends i i've been liking to tell people that you know that verse in the bible that says keep your heart with all diligence that verse doesn't have an end date right <laughs> yes <laughs> if you do that work you will get better yeah. at it yep. you know and you will see fruit in your life because as you're navigating and intending the garden of your heart you will plant some trees and they will grow and they'll grow they'll be the tree of sobriety that is growing in your life and they'll be the tree of um you know connection with your wife or whatever but there will still always be work to do. So it's not that we don't trigger in life anymore. Yep. It's just that we get, we know how to navigate that and use those triggers to bring us to a life, to life. So yep. bring us to Jesus, to yep. bring us to encounter, you know, the King of all Kings, the author and finisher of our faith and experience, you know, his unconditional love and then experience that with people, the people around us too. So yep. that's what health is. Yeah. I need to plant a tree of CrossFit in my life. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Um, okay. So Stephen, many of us, um, you know, we have, and we've already identified the three of us have experienced this. We experience performance wounds. And obviously, as you mentioned, it's that ongoing thing. Um, but many of us also have friends who suffer from performance wounds. How do we help them or support them? Uh, because it's obviously really hard to watch them go through it too. So what's our role in that? I, I do think that um, modeling through doing the work yourself is always the best. Like you'll be able to give more, the more you're walking in wholeness, like yeah. the more you've confronted your own pain, your own insecurities and have overcome that you will have insight just because you've done the work into what other yeah. people are specifically going and be able to more accurately help them. Um, and then I, also, as you do that work again, it will attract people everyone wants to be comfortable in our own skin. Mm -hmm. People will be drawn to that vulnerability. So like that, that is always the best thing. And then the other thing I would say too is, um, 
yeah, putting it into practice by being okay about being in your, like comfortable in your uh, shortcomings and failures with people, uh, bring that vulnerability to the table. And then I also think that it's really helpful to look to affirm people and like the spe- give specific affirmations to people about yeah. what they do bring to their t- table, like yeah. speak to people's identity, you know, um, be that voice that they've never had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's so healing when you, when you receive a good affirmation that's specific, it's like, whoa, they know me, they see me, they see what's going on. Um, I think those are, those are the three answers I came up with to your yeah. wonderful question. No, that's good. <laughs> Super good. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot about my kids and am I creating performance wounds in their life? And I, I probably am and probably have, but that is something I'm trying to be mindful of is if, if the only time I show appreciation for my kids is when they've done something good, I'm inadvertently reinforcing you are what you do. You are what you produce. You know, wow, good grades. That's awesome. And and I don't, not not saying we shouldn't do that, but that's the only time I say it's awesome that they got straight A's. They connect my value to my dad is Mm -hmm. when I perform well. And so just, I've tried to find throughout their life. And again, I don't do it perfectly, but it's an area that I, I keep trying to grow and to just randomly say, I'm so proud of you. You're so awesome. And and especially my youngest, Luke, who's 10, he'll say, why? I'm like, <laughs> because you're my son. And that's yeah. just how I feel about love you. you. And it's yeah. kind of, and it still kind of confuses him like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and it's just, there's a logic there in our brains of, oh, if, if I make a shot and it was really impressive and my dad says, wow, that's awesome. Now I know why. But if yeah. my dad just walks by and says, man, I think you're awesome and I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Our brain kind of looks for the reason. And if we give them the reason, just it's just who you are. That's mm-hmm. how I feel about you. I think it can reinforce that your value is who you are, not what you do. So I'm working on it with my kids, working on it with my relationship, probably got coworkers that wish I worked on it more here, but hey, (laughs) one level at a time, we'll get there. Uh, That's that's so good. Um, And thank you. I appreciate the work that you're doing on it. Um, I think uh, I don't have all of it um, off the top of my head, but I just know that there's been research out there done on... um, when we affirm the effort that's being put in versus the results that have been accomplished. Mm. And you'll see people who, um, if we affirm the effort, like, man, you worked really, really hard and you affirm that piece, those people actually actually end up being more successful over time and increasing their grades or the results of what they do far more than like, hey, really good job on getting an A. Like there's a there's research out there that that shows that. And I think that that's something that's just coming to mind now that we could work on, you know, with our kids, even with yeah. ourselves. You know, you talked about husband material, like we had Druboa on to talk about um, parenting our inner child. We've talked about that. That's a way that you can do that with yourself too. You know, identifying like, man, you're mm-hmm. working really, really hard right now. And if you think about yes. it, how often do we need to hear that as kids, you know, growing up? How often do we need to hear that today? Like, I just, I see how hard you're working. You're working really, really hard and I appreciate the effort you're putting forth. This is plug, Nick, if you wanted to say those things to me a couple of times every day, that'd be helpful. But I just think that that's a really, <laughs> but it, it is, it honestly, it goes a really long way. Um, you know, yeah. and I can think of times where my wife has said that to me, like, I see the work that you're putting in and it means a lot to me, Yes, man, that's a badge I could wear around. You know what I mean? I'll add that to my resume because it's so meaningful. I love that. And I mean, that's the conversations where I was saying, I speak to myself. That's exactly what you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, Trevor. And even Nick, when you were telling your story of when the coach, you know, erupted at you in the basketball, I was like, I mean, like, oh, it's like, I, yeah, as a parent, you'd want to say, hey, I saw how much you're hustling out there, you know, and I I love the work you're doing. It, the game didn't actually hinge on that one play. Yeah. There was lots of other moments to that game. It wasn't all your fault. You know what I mean? There's just things that could have been healing for you 
to hear, you know, and as a father, I think through the, that lens, mm-hmm. but yeah, I have those conversations with myself because um, the reality is wounds have happened. There were sin is in the world. And there's ways that our parents don't show up for us. And the way emotions work, like when a kid comes to you and is crying, when you meet them and give them a hug and like kind of attune with them, there's a moment where it's like the weight of it just go, flies away and then they're off playing again. Yep. And it's like, it never happened. Mm-hmm. That's just how our emotional self works. So if we like come in logically to ourselves, sometimes like, you know, in our mental state, we won't actually hit that emotional part, but just spending time speaking and being tender and kind to ourselves. Um, I find that lots of times the emotional wounds uh, do fly away. And that part, to me, that part of me grows up. It's not stuck, you know, at, in that 12 year old pain, mm-hmm. um, you know, or 15 year old pain that happened at, in my development. Yeah. So love it. So we're, we're talking about a lot of these performance wounds, Stephen, uh, from our past childhood, you know, high school, college sports. And I think that's natural, but the truth is we, we don't stop getting wounded in life. And so mm-hmm. talk about what you would suggest if someone experiences a, a performance wound currently or in the near future where, they fail at something or have a, a bad experience in an area that they kind of have realized they look to for their sense of identity. How can we learn to respond to those with better health, better maturity, um, and, and just a, a better likely outcome than taking on more wounding? Yeah. That's a great question. So like if I'm free from performance, then I can actually have grace on myself that I'm healing and wrestling with performance. So putting that into practice, you know, like, yeah, I'm struggling with performance and just being like, hey, you know, again, that conversation with yourself, I I know this has been a long battle, but you're lovable right now and we'll figure this out. So just start with that internal, the the way you treat yourself. And again, I'm going to pause and add, recognize that you are reflecting God's love to yourself Mm -hmm. just in a way that means something for you because we're human and we're made for connection and relationship. Um, but yeah, starting there. And then um, I would just reflect and use that trigger because that's what it is as the trailhead. Like, why is this hard for me? Like, what does this connect to? When have I felt this way before? And and begin to put the pieces and see where the kid is at, yeah. like where the wounding occurred and then start speaking to that kid or doing something on his behalf, like do some kind of external mm-hmm. action. For me personally, um, I think, an external action I typically take because shame is one of my biggest triggers as in shame and hiddenness is. So I will always um, prove to myself that I'm lovable by talking to somebody else about yeah, it yeah. and allowing myself to be seen in my weakness and my friendships that I have. And that's such a huge thing. I mean, just this weekend, um, I, I don't, it's new for me. I'm just starting to now speak a little bit more for pure desire. And so we were at this men's event and I was sitting at the back table with our producer, Justin, who's my best friend in the whole world. Um, and I was feeling like I wasn't going to connect with these people. We're in this military community and I'm wearing skinny jeans and Chelsea boots. And I'm like, I'm just not, I do not fit in here. Like, I just don't feel like I fit in and I don't think they're going to connect. And I just, this, you know, negative self-talk was just going and going. I was spinning and I just turned to Justin and I was like, Hey man, this is how I'm feeling. I just wanted to share it. And what's cool is that he was able to add perspective. I can, and you know, what's funny. I can't even remember anything that he said, but I just remember him affirming what I said. And then saying like, bro, you're going to do great. Like, it's going to be awesome. And I remember how helpful that was. And when I got up there, within the first two minutes, I totally did connect with the people and felt like, okay, like I can do this. I, you know, this is something that God has gifted me and, you know, put me forward in this season of my life. I can do this. And so for me, that's just the biggest thing is talking to other people, allowing people in 
Um, because that's one of those things where they can reframe it for you. They can put it under, you know, a microscope and be like, look, this isn't true. This is a message that you're believing or a lie that you're believing. And here's what's true. And I think that that's why group is so helpful. That's why living vulnerably with, you know, transparent relationships is so helpful because other people can point out when we see something that's not true. And then they can also point us to reality. Yeah, I was just thinking that's the value of group. That's the people in our life that know us and that we know accept us for who we are yep. because we have that level of emotional, relational intimacy with them. Um, you know, thinking back to that high school basketball story, you know, it, it actually happened for me at a practice where no one other than my teammates and my coaches mm. saw or heard what happened. So there was mm. no one in my life that could come alongside me like, you know, what he said wasn't true and, and, and speak an opposite word. And at that time in my life, I was very much an internal processor. I, I took that all to myself and carried that weight, you know, until it came to, oh, I need to forgive that coach. But I think that's the big change in me now is if if a similar experience happened now, although I'm kind of laughing like, where would that happen now? <laughs> but if something like that, that just felt like, man, my identity and performance just really got hammered, I would have a lot of people I could go to with that story and, and say, can you help me process this? And mm -hmm. what parts do I need to learn from? And what parts do I need to let go of? And just yeah. my ability to do that in relationship is very, very different. Um, and I'm thankful that that's what I think growth and recovery looks like. So I think that's my encouragement for group, for healthy relationships, yeah. for people in your world that know you inside and out. Because then when this happens, you go to them and they help give you perspective on how you should respond to it. And, yep. and then you can, I think, process it in a much healthier way. Because the reality is we are going to go through tough stuff. But the truth being, we don't have to go through it alone. Absolutely. Love it. I mean, like, as you're saying that, Nick, it made me think of like, you know, when we're practicing being known and being seen, like with others seen in our weakness, we are practicing unconditional love. We're practicing what that is, right? We're in process and I'm lovable right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to hide. And that like what, how else, let me put it this way. What a better way to punch performance in the face. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's just goes right after it. So it's such a powerful tool is to just practice vulnerability. And it's, it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Even, even though I've been in sobriety for 13 years, there's times where it's like, ah, this hurts. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and then there can be the guilt of why am I still reacting this way, yep. and, and the shame. Totally. I should be better by now, and and that's just even part of the messaging we have mm -hmm. to learn to listen to. To go, whoa, hold on, time out. <laughs> just because I'm feeling something doesn't mean I'm stuck back there. Yep. It's something I can learn yes. from. So yep. being gracious to yourself, yep. I think, is a big part of today's episode. Totally. Yeah. So. Stephen, just, I mean, we're, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on with us. Um, and this is such a yeah. cool topic. You know, we were talking to Stephen, um, emailing back and forth, just asking for topics. And this was just the one, you know, he, I think you sent like three or four. It was like, boom, this is it right here. Sports performance wounds is just so good. I think so many people are relating to it. Um, but just taking kind of um, account for all the people who are listening, you know, maybe there are people who are athletes who had those performance wounds. Maybe there are performers. Maybe it was just relationships, you know, um, dating relationships or parents, what final encouragement would you give to listeners who are battling through or just maybe even identifying that they have performance wounds in their life? Yeah, I would just love anybody who is listening to see this conversation as an invitation into living a life of confidence and being comfortable in your own skin, mm -hmm. flaws and all, uh, and to receive unconditional love as you know, we're all on a journey of growth, you know, we're lovable wherever we're at on that journey of growth. So I would just invite everyone to take that invitation and experience relational abundance 
and um, first with yourself. Um, and I'll just tell you that as you do it, you will begin to truly enjoy who you are and you'll have so much gratitude in your heart with, um, to God for this too. You will praise him that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that will be real to you. It re- I'll just say this. This doesn't turn into, oh, I'm so confident and don't need anything. I right. Uh, confidence is such a better portion than all the insecurity I, I lived with that I'm just so grateful to Jesus. And um, so that verse, I'll praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I feel that. And I love it. Yep. So, and I experience so much more connection now with other people because of it, because I'm living more honestly with others around me. So it's, it's, it's an invitation to feel love. Yeah, absolutely. I think what comes to mind for me as a final encouragement would be just to direct people to scripture and, and ask the question, how did God and how did God revealed in Jesus respond to people in their weaknesses, mm-hmm. in their limitation, in their pain? Did he tell them to yeah. go be better? Did he tell them to shape up? Did he point out the flaws or did he give people rest? Did he invite them to draw away? Did did he give them grace? Did he offer healing? And I, I think when we see that pattern, you know, I think of Elijah in the Old Testament, that God gave rest and he fed him on this journey where he's just despondent. Um, we, we need an image of our God, our Heavenly Father, that has compassion for us in areas where we feel like we're not doing well. Because I think if we can really lean into that, then we can have compassion for ourselves and be able to say, well, if, if God treats me this way, how should I treat myself in light yep. of that? Yep. I just the the that's what I wrote down too the idea that uh, that verse that says while we were while we were enemies with God Christ died for us and so you know to put it in context it's not like we were on God's team and we were just failing we were playing against Him we were on the other team yeah. you know so we're like it's even worse than not performing on His team at that point Christ died for us at that point. He said, you're valuable, you are what I want, and this is what I'm willing to do to bring you into my family, to save you. And I like, you know, I'm at a season in my life where sometimes even quoting scripture can feel or even like maybe smell like spiritual bypass, but I know this is this is not spiritual bypass. This is biblical truth that we know um, that our value, that, that the value that we have in God's eyes was proven and it's already been proven by Christ. And so just living in that, I feel like is... So, so important. That needs to be the place that we uh, come from, not the place that we like build up to. That's the foundation for it. Uh, Steven, man, again, this has been such, uh, this is an episode for me personally, I feel like I needed to hear (laughs) and be a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just appreciate uh, you. I appreciate the topic and just the work that you're doing now. The work you've done on yourself obviously is paying off, you know, in parenting, but also the work you're doing with other people. So thanks, man, for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. It's been such a privilege to be here with you. Appreciate being given a spot to share. Thank you. Yeah. And wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to healing and freedom. And lastly, never stop being healthy.